everybody. Welcome back to the second episode of a series of podcasts that I am producing with my friend, Jeff Jenis. Hey, Jeff, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you, Stacey? Great, great. So today we're going to be talking about the 526 Easy application form specifically. Jeff's going to take us through the specifics of how to fill that out and things that you need to know about that. But briefly, before I start, I just wanted to let you guys know um, what each episode is going to cover so that you can make sure you're in the right place. The first episode, we covered the background and purpose of the VA and its compensation programs. Uh, Today's episode, like I said, 526EZ application form. Episode three explains how to navigate VA examinations and how to file for additionally qualified programs. In episode four, we discussed the specifics about the appeals process. And in episode five, we're going to discuss special programs and considerations for reserve veterans, combat veterans, and severely disabled veterans programs. Hey, Jeff, is there anything that you'd like to add to that? Well, I think that was a great synopsis. You know, I just want to encourage everybody to go back and listen to episode one, just so they can really, you know, get the lay of the land and really understand what the programs are that they're applying for. And today we're going to really talk about how to do that. Great. Okay. So today we're talking about the 21-526EZ form. Generally speaking, Jeff, what's the purpose of this form? Well, this form is a multi-use form. It is used to make a claim to the Veterans Administration. Specifically, what we're going to be talking about today is how to apply for disability compensation. But this form can actually be used for uh, many other things. It can be used for compensation under the 1151 program, which is if you get injured at a VA facility. It could be used for automotive and home adaptation equipment and grants. It can be used for uh, temporary total disability. It can be used for special monthly compensation. It can be used for a whole host of VA programs. And we're going to talk about each one of those in the specific episodes. But today we're talking about how to use this form, this 526 easy form, which it's commonly referred to, to apply for VA compensation benefits. Okay. And you guys, we are providing a workbook that goes along with this. So be sure and download that. You can find that in the show notes. But it is a companion to filling out this form and you will find it super beneficial. So be sure Maybe hit stop real quick and print that out and we will be on our way. So what are we talking about today, Jeff, specifically? We're going to talk about the 526EZ form and how to start the process of your original claim. Now, that's actually a very specific term with the VA, your original claim. And the original claim is just like it sounds. It's the very first time that you ever apply to the VA for benefits. And it's different than even a new claim or a subsequent claim, or a claim for increase. There are many other types of claims, but there's only one original claim, and it's the very first one that you file. For disability specifically. For disability specifically, yes. And when we're talking about disability, um, and we're talking about disability compensation, and remember, that's not the same as social security disability. We talked about that in episode one. This is all about lost wages. 
And so when we talk about disability compensation, what we need to talk about is disability service connection. And service connection is what we were referring to when we talked about in episode one, how the VA issues awards for your honorable service, your honorable active duty service. I work as a veteran service officer for the UDT SEAL Association. And in so doing, I just want to make a plug for veteran service officers in terms of helping our audience prepare their claims for making application to the VA. Can you talk a little bit about what a veteran service officer does and how they might be able to get in contact with one to get some help? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, all veteran service officers work for nonprofit organizations. The services that they provide for veterans are free. The veterans shouldn't have to pay for any of the services. We're a very small organization, the UDT SEAL Association, but there are larger ones like the Disabled American Veterans. The County Veteran Service Officers is an organization that's nationwide, and they have veteran service officers in almost every county in the United States. And so by having that amount of coverage, they are usually the first stop that a veteran can go to to get some help with their claims process. They can really answer questions. They can help you file any part of your claim form, and they can also give you advice on how to properly apply to the VA. I would think it would be nice to have one just simply, uh, if you're trying to get through the paperwork, to have a, have an eye on the paperwork to make sure that everything's in order so that it doesn't get delayed in any way. I totally agree. Uh, my Even if you're going to fill out the forms yourself or you're going to go to va.gov and do it online, I still recommend that you contact a veteran service officer and at least just even show them what you did because they might be able to streamline the process and they might be able to save a lot of time and effort on your part. And we'll be sure and put these resources once again in the show notes so that everybody has access to this help. So why are we doing this if they could just contact a veteran service officer? Some veterans want to apply themselves, and some people have very straightforward claims that they need to make, and they don't necessarily need the assistance. But that's also what we're doing with this podcast series. We're making sure through our workbook and then guiding our audience step-by-step that they can do it themselves. But we're also saying, hey, it's fine to have somebody check your work and also to have somebody available to answer questions. Okay. So so when I pulled up this form, there was like seven pages of instructions, Jeff. What the VA did in the instructions of the form is they tried to explain every VA program all at once. So it's like that movie, everything, everywhere, all at once. And that's not very helpful. So that is exactly what we're doing. We're going through the form and saying, These are the parts of the form and the parts of the instructions that you need to pay attention for each step of your journey through the VA claims process. And right now we're at the first step, which is we're going to apply for an original claim. This also could be an application for a new condition, but really we're going to be giving information as if this is the first time that you ever took a look at this form. There are now specific forms for certain programs. And if a person is listening and they need to apply for pension or for survivor benefits, they need to use a different form. And I really highly suggest for both of those two programs that they contact a VSO and have a VSO assist them with their claims because otherwise it can get too complex and and they can really get mired down in the bureaucracy. Okay, Jeff, take us through some of the elements that... uh 
people need to have in mind in order to apply for these benefits? Well, first of all, if you need to apply for disability compensation, you have to have a service-connected disability. So we'll use that term a whole lot from here on out when we say service connection. And what that really means, there's three elements that define service connection. The first one is, is that you have to have a current chronic disability. That means that it's been there for at least six months. So it's not a transitory condition. It's not something that you're going to just heal from. This is something that continues on. So number two, we need to have some type of an in-service event that happened to you while you are on active duty that is then going to be linked to this disability. Okay. And that actually is the third part of service connection, which is a nexus or another word for that is a link between the first two items. And the nexus or the link is a medical opinion. And that is determined by the BA medical doctors. So to summarize, in order to establish service connection for your disability, you have to first have a chronic disability that's lasted over six months. It has to be related to an in-service event that happened to you or an illness that happened on active duty. And then there has to be a nexus or a link, which is a medical opinion that links these two, saying that the in-service event caused the current chronic disability that you have. What if you're not sure? What if somebody was like exposed to chemicals or something that that we're that we're not quite sure about? Are there special considerations around stuff like that? Absolutely. Yeah, we definitely need to talk about that because our audience is going to have some of these conditions. And some of these conditions are considered presumptive conditions. If you are exposed during active duty to certain chemicals, such as uh, Agent Orange, or if you were exposed to burn pits, Agent Orange is obviously like a Vietnam era chemical and burn pits is more Gulf War one and two exposure kind of condition. I just want to point out that the VA does not pay for exposures to chemicals or anything else. They only pay for conditions that were caused by those exposures, right? So just because you had an exposure, unless you also have a current condition, then the exposure itself, even if you were exposed to Asian Orange, if you don't have an Agent Orange presumptive condition, then that exposure isn't necessarily compensable. An example might be asthma being linked to burn pit exposure. Therefore, if you have asthma and you had active duty service in an area where there were burn pits, then the VA presumes that your asthma was caused by the burn pits and by your active duty service. And so that's what a presumptive condition is. There is some other special considerations when we're talking about disability compensation. And and one of them is also, you might have heard me say multiple times, active duty service. For reservists specifically, they only cover injuries that occur during their active duty time, but illnesses that they might have, like a chronic illness, um, is not necessarily covered um, unless it's determined to be in the line of duty. And that's a whole separate determination that we're going to discuss in a little bit. Even injuries for reservists usually require a line of duty determination, which is paperwork filled out by the service member's chain of command that will state that that injury occurred, quote, in the line of duty. Are there any exceptions to that rule? There are a couple of exceptions. 
if a reservist has a heart attack or a stroke while traveling to or returning from their training, then that is actually considered covered by the VA. It's a strange exception, but it's, it's for a very intended purpose. I think that another thing that this form could be used for is that we can also use it to apply for secondary service connection. And so that means that, let's say you can't walk because you injured your right hip during service, but by limping all the time, your left hip also now causes you pain. So that's an example of secondary service connection that we're going to talk about here in just a little bit. And you're going to go over how to actually fill out the claim so you can take care of all of it. Yeah, I'm going to show you how to fill out every part of this claim form so that you can claim either an original condition and or multiple original conditions, as well as any secondary conditions that you need to claim. So we're speaking about veterans, but um, what if somebody is not a veteran yet? What if they're still in active duty? The, the VA has this new program called Benefits Delivery at Discharge, which is a way that they can get ahead of what a veteran might be claiming as a disability. They try to do the claim and the exams while the service member is still on active duty, and then their benefits start the day after discharge. And so that's benefits delivery at discharge. There's certain time windows that you have to try to meet because you have to make your claim between 90 and 180 days before your discharge. And then you have to be available to go to VA examinations during that period of time. Sometimes our audience will be able to do that, but sometimes you won't be able to because there might be operational requirements, deployment schedules, or you might just, just not know that you're going to be exiting the service until right before you're ready to, to get out. Even if person is not going through the benefits delivery at discharge program, they should still attempt to make their claim while they're still on active duty. And I'm mostly speaking to our active duty listeners out there right now. If you're a reservist, the, the rules are slightly different. What's the timeline for, like if somebody needs to apply for disability? Is this something that you can do later? If you didn't do it because you were just too busy and you got out and you um, separated or retired and you haven't made a claim with the VA, there's still time, but do it sooner than later because every moment you delay is potential benefits that you're giving up, potentially thousands of dollars that you're missing out on that, um, that is an earned benefit that you get for your active duty honorable service. The other thing that I would say is that um, if you're filing an original claim, you absolutely should do it within one year of separating or retiring from the service. There's many conditions that if the VA determines that you have them, that they will backdate your claim and start paying you for the day after discharge if you claim them within a year. Also, things claimed within, within a year are much easier to service connect because just happened. You just exited the service and there's a closer timeline between those events and that disability. It's much easier to prove. The other thing that's important about filing a claim is just even the act of it, of starting a claim, like on VA.gov, or filing an intent to file with the VA. That is like a placeholder for that date. And then you have one year from that date to get your claim form in, and it will be treated as if you turned it in that day. 
So that's a really huge benefit. That could be up to 12 months worth of benefits that you could earn just by filing an intent to file and then getting your claim form in within a year of that intent to file. So we're ready to go through the form. I just want to note that we will be skipping some steps and we want you to follow along in the workbook by doing just the steps that Jeff brings up. So we also highly encourage you to use this workbook as a rough draft to compile all of the necessary information and then use this information to fill out the forms online. We also highly suggest that you file online because it gets you into the system faster and you won't be running the risk of paperwork getting lost in the mail. So if you stick around to the very end, I will give you detailed instructions on how to file online. So, hey, Jeff, we're going to jump into filling out the form now, right? Yeah, we're going to actually go line by line. And this isn't going to be uh, a terribly long and boring process. We're just going to tell you what sections you need to fill out and which ones are really important to not miss. Okay. So, you guys, once again, you can access the form in the show notes if you don't have it pulled up and ready to fill out. Uh, You can also grab the workbook. Yeah. So, if you have a form and you have the workbook, let's start. Item one. Um, which type of claim process you want to file. And I suggest that you always select fully developed claim program, the FDC program. What you are saying with that is that you are providing all of the information that you want the VA to look at and make a decision on your claim. You will get the fastest service and you will also bypass any mandatory waiting period. If there's any part of your claim that will not fit in this program, VA will automatically put it to the standard claim process. So it does not hurt you to select fully developed claim program and provide all the information that you have. So this next section, items two through 11, it's just demographic information. Just go ahead and put the information in there. Item 12, I think that you should provide a email address to the VA so that they can contact you quicker and provide you updates. Section two, which is really uh, items 14A through C, you can skip those. That's really just for changes of address. Item 15 is if you are homeless or in danger of becoming homeless. If you are, the VA will absolutely expedite your claim and they will also help you with some additional social worker outreach. So please fill out this form and please fill out sections 15 E and F so that the VA has a point of contact to be able to contact you. So this is really critical for our homeless veterans out there listening. If you're homeless and you need assistance from the VA, get this form with a point of contact. And unequivocally get a VSO, have a VSO on your case. Then you have another person uh, looking out for you. Absolutely. That's absolutely important. Item 16, this is really the bread and butter of this form. And we're going to skip it because this is what we're going to talk about at the end. Mostly, I like to do that one at item 16, unless it's very straightforward. I like to just say see attached and then add an attachment sheet. Item 17, this is where you're going to put any medical treatment providers that you know about, and you're going to list them there. And the VA will attempt to contact them if you've also filled out the appropriate release forms, which will be in the show notes, and they will attempt to get those records. 
I have a quick question. What if somebody saw a physician that was outside of the VA hospital? Under the fully developed claim program, you can submit any medical evidence that you have in your possession along with your claim form, and it will be looked at by the VA. So they just make copies of the records and then attach them to this application? How would they do that? That would be a fantastic way to do it. You can either give copies of those records to the to your VSO, who can then upload them directly into the VA system, or you can attempt to upload them yourself at va.gov, or you can mail them in at the evidence intake center at the VA, and they will scan them in to your record. To me, it sounded like the lowest hanging fruit there was your VSO. Yes, that is certainly the easiest way to get records yes. uh, into your file. Yeah. Okay. On to section five. Yeah. Section five, which is your service information. And that's items 18 through 22. And what you're going to do is you're going to put all the information that came off your DD-214 or is in your service record. And most service members will know that information. This section is really important for all of you who are reservists because it indicates when you were activated. So when you went on active duty, and those are the timeframes that will matter for VA service connection. Item 23 is only if you're a POW. So that doesn't apply to most of our listeners. Section six is all about retired pay or separation pay or disability severance pay if you have received or are receiving any of those. So if you're receiving retirement pay, then put the information in there. Otherwise, you can just leave it blank. Um, for item 26, I recommend that you always leave it blank because that tells the VA that you don't want to be paid. So don't check that box. And item 27 is if you've ever received a lump sum payment. Again, number 28, leave it blank. Section seven, that's just your direct deposit information. And unless you really absolutely do not have a financial institution, you absolutely should fill this section out. It's the quickest way for you to be paid by the VA. To do things through checks is very cumbersome and it is prone to many errors. So I would suggest, even if you've never had one before, establish a checking account so that you can be paid by the VA. The next section is really just about the certification. And so that's section 33A and B, which is just where you will sign and date it. So let's take some time and go through item 16 now. Item 16, this is really the bread and butter of this form. So the truth is always going to come out during the claims development process. So don't lie, that is fraud. And it will absolutely get your claim rejected. And it might even have some other legal consequences. Just be completely truthful with the VA because we don't want to exaggerate, but we also don't want to minimize. We just want to tell the truth so that we can get the proper information to the VA so that they can make a proper decision about your claim. In column one, we put what is the current disability? In the first column, when people are describing what the disability is, um, we're talking about all types of disabilities, including mental and emotional challenges incurred as well as a result of something that happened while in the service. Yes, that's what item 16 is all about. So this list of disabilities could be long. It could be very specific or it could just describe more general symptoms. But yes, it includes all conditions. 
what I really want to do first is I just want to talk about what you need to put in column one. And then hopefully columns two, three, and four would follow from each condition. If you have a medical diagnosis, you can put that. Otherwise, then we're going to use layperson's terms so that we don't limit any potential diagnosis that the VA discovers during their examinations. So there are some specific conditions that are important to note because they're also very common amongst our listeners. One of the most important ones is maybe be joint pain. That's how it should be claimed. I have knee pain. You should say if it's left or right. And even if you have both, put a left knee pain and a right knee pain. So we don't lump them together. If there is radiating pain, this is mostly relating to neck or back pain. But if you have pain that's not just in your neck and your back, but goes down your arms or down your legs or into your into the backs of your legs, all of those things can be rated as a separate condition by the VA and show should be claimed separate. Other things that are also separate from just pain is any diagnosis of arthritis. That's a completely separate diagnosis. There also can be instability. And instability is separate from pain and should be claimed separately. So let me just for clarification's sake, repeat this back to you and see if I got what you just said. So they've got joint pain in their wrists, but they also have arthritis in their elbows, wrists. That's a whole separate thing. So they need to yes. list both of those. And then two, perhaps they have some shoulder instability or and arthritis in their shoulders as well. Also another separate list. And, and because of those things as well, that pain radiates from shoulder to their pinky. So they also have radiating pain. So there's four things when just a layperson might have just said, I have arm pain. I think that that's exactly right. And when we're talking about those things that just like in your example, you should claim right shoulder pain, right shoulder instability, and maybe even right shoulder arthritis. Okay. So those could be three separate conditions from the same joint. Really, for the radiating pain, it's more likely that that type of radiation would come from some type of spinal injury um, just because of the way they present. But your, your point is very well made that um, we definitely need to claim them separately. And we need to claim both left and right, not just lump them together, because that helps the VA know what information to look for in your service records. So let's talk about another real specific one about these presumptive conditions. I really suggest that everybody go to va.gov and look at PACT Act legislation that was passed and see if you have any of these presumptive conditions. If you do, and you were also exposed during service, you should make a claim with the VA. And those are specifically during Vietnam and the Gulf War eras. Is that correct? Yes, it actually applies to a lot of veterans. We're mostly talking about Vietnam and Gulf War veterans, but it should just be noted that there's a lot of other exposures that you could have been exposed to. You could have been exposed to radiation. You could have been exposed to Camp Lejeune water. You could have been exposed to other environmental hazards during your service that are specific to you. So another condition that, I, that is very common for our listeners to have is tinnitus, ringing in the ears. If you have tinnitus, you should claim both hearing loss and tinnitus because the VA is very bad at compensating veterans for hearing loss, even though many veterans 
suffer from hearing loss, but your hearing has to be really bad to be compensatable by the VA, but they do compensate for tinnitus. Another one that I really want to mention because it affects so many of the people listening is traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress disorder, and headaches. And I'm going to start just by saying that the VA is only allowed to use any symptom that the veteran experiences one time for rating purpose. So if one of our listeners has traumatic brain injury from service, and maybe they also have PTSD, maybe they also have headaches, you should claim those as three separate conditions and let the VA, whose responsibility it is to make the decision that's most advantageous to the veteran, is let them sort out how the symptoms that you're experiencing equate to those conditions. If you have a traumatic brain injury and you have headaches, and if you also have other symptoms of traumatic brain injury, the VA may be able to compensate you for your traumatic brain injury and separately compensate you for your headaches. And so it's important to claim them separately so that they can at least look at them separately. If you have traumatic brain injury, what other symptoms might you have that are related that they should claim? Perhaps vertigo, dizziness? Yeah, sure. And even sleep disorder, mm -hmm. memory loss. There's a whole Depression. range of symptoms. Absolutely. That brings up an excellent point. The VA will only designate one mental health diagnosis for each veteran. Let's just say someone had anxiety, depression, and chronic sleep disorder. Well, the VA might say that's anxiety, depression with chronic sleep disorder. They wouldn't separate them out into three different rateable conditions. They would all be linked together at one. And so that's why if one of our listeners has PTSD, I suggest that if they want to claim PTSD, they can. But that also means that then they're going to be discussing the stressors that cause that PTSD because that's part of linking PTSD to someone's service. They could claim anxiety from their service and they might not have to fill out those additional forms and relive those events. Some of you out there listening might be worried about being labeled with PTSD. If someone has PTSD that and they don't want to claim that, then here's an opportunity or an avenue where they can still have a mental health diagnosis and still get compensated for their symptoms, but they don't have to be labeled with PTSD. They can just say, I have anxiety. I have adjustment disorder. There's lots of different uh, diagnoses that don't include PTSD if someone wants to not be labeled. I really do think that if a veteran is suffering, there's a very specific rubric that the VA uses to determine if a veteran has PTSD. And oftentimes, if they don't qualify at that level, they will then make a lesser diagnosis of anxiety or depression or a combination thereof. So it really makes sense to apply. And if you have a diagnosis from a medical provider, then put that down, especially if you have a diagnosis of PTSD. But if you don't, then just put down the symptoms that you're having, either anxiety or depression or sleep impairment. All of those would qualify for service connection if the VA can prove that there's a link between uh, your service and that condition. Hey, I just wanted to hop in here and offer some reassurance. We understand that your PTSD chart notes can be highly sensitive. Um, in case you have concerns regarding that, we wanted to remind you and reassure you that your treatment records will be kept confidential. So a few minutes ago, we just said not to use a diagnosis or not to use, just to use your own words. Sure. And that's definitely true. 
in terms of a mental health diagnosis, our audience is not capable of diagnosing themselves. So, but if they've been diagnosed by a mental health provider, they can use that diagnosis and hopefully provide those treatment records. So maybe we could discuss for a moment, like what happens after the claim is filed. Yeah, fire away, because I'm sure they want to know how long things are going to take, what they should watch for. It's absolutely true. The VA has a backlog of claims that have been filed that they that are in progress. So it's impossible to say exactly how long the waiting times are. It would very much depend when a, a person filed their claim, how complex that claim is. And if all of the information that the VA needs to make a decision is present there. But what will happen is as soon as the VA receives your claim, they will start processing it. They will look at your discharge records and your service treatment records and any other information that you've supplied. And they will determine if the injury or disability that you're claiming was reasonably caused by your service. If you were on active duty when you submitted your claim, as I suggest, then this development process is relatively straightforward and automatic because the veteran is making a claim, therefore saying there's the in-service event, and they're saying, I have this condition, so examine me and find out if you can link the two. And so that's why we always suggest that you file your claim while on active duty. Um, after the VA does that process, and if they think that that condition was reasonably caused by service, they will schedule you with a VA contractor for a VA exam. That's called a compensation and pension exam. During that exam, a, a CNP evaluator will examine you based on the specific condition that you're claiming and any other conditions that could be inferred by what you're claiming. And that's what we're going to cover in our next episode. VA exams and what happens when you get scheduled for them, what you should do before you go and what information that they're looking for and what information they're not looking for. So we're going to talk about all that in our next episode. Okay. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, thanks for sticking with us to the end here. If you want to mail this form, the address is Department of Veterans Affairs Evidence Intake Center, P.O. Box 4444, Janesville, J-A-N-E-S-V-I-L-L-E, Wisconsin, that's W-I, 53547-4444. Again, that's Department of Veterans Affairs, Evidence Intake Center, P.O. Box 4444, Janesville, Wisconsin, 53547-4444. But once again, for the sake of security and speed, we suggest that you file online. You can find the form online at www.va.gov. And basically, here are your instructions. So if you go there, you'll see a box on the front page that says disability. And the very bottom, you'll see a hyperlink in that box that says file a claim for compensation. Click that link. And then you're going to click the blue box in the next page that says sign in to start your application. This is where you're going to be prompted to create a secure account. And you want to do this because this allows you to save your work as you go. So you don't have to fill all of this out at once. Um, so just follow those instructions and you'll create an account so that you can use and come back to as needed. Hey, Jeff, thanks for doing this. Thanks for coming on and, and running everybody through the form. Okay. Thank you so much, Stacey. All right, Jeff. Till next time.